podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The tenth time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! And he puts it in! Sergi Carroll has scored the first goal of the Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elam Road podcast where on today's show we're going to be doing something a little bit different and we're going to have a chat about England following our qualification for Euro 2024 in the week and also at the end of the show we're going to hear from a Burnley fan about the big game at the GTEC on Saturday. We're also going to have a chat about the potential England squad and uh, hearing from an Elam Road regular himself. Niall, he's got some strong opinions about this England squad so I thought I'd bring him in for this episode. Been a while Niall, mate. How's things? Things are well. How are you? Yeah, all good. Busy. But um, yeah, let's let's just get straight into it because there's quite a lot to get through. Uh, the, the Burnley Joe from uh, Turfcast has given me about 15 minutes, so I'll plug that in at the end of the podcast, so stick around for that. Um, but yeah, like I said before, going to be a little bit different today. Have a little bit of fun during the international break. But yeah, remember, before we get going, guys, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, please do subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channels. Leave a rating on those both. And also give us a follow on our socials. That's at the Elam Road on Twitter and at Elam Road Pod on Instagram. Right, England. Um, I think we should kind of separate this into three parts because I thought about sort of doing it question by question. But I think going for three parts is definitely a bit more succinct. Uh, So let's go selection and games first, kind of dabbling in between those two topics and we'll look ahead to Euro 2024 and then also that will kind of intertwine with a bit of chat about Gareth Southgate as well. Uh, First of all and um, this is a topic that's caused a lot of debate Gareth Southgate's squad selection I think there's a couple of obvious ones that we have to talk about firstly I think we'll go with Jordan Henderson lots of noise around his inclusion in the squad made even louder by the by the boos that he received in England's recent games against Australia and Italy. Niall first of all should Jordan Henderson be in the England squad? There's loads to talk about with Jordan Henderson, but should he be in the England squad for you? Um, I think it's a difficult one. He's not really someone like I've really rate, even when he was back in his prime at Liverpool. Um, I think he's obviously someone that's important to the squad in terms of his leadership abilities. Southgate clearly trusts him. Um, in terms of the booze, I just don't agree with it at all. I think... You know, this whole thing about him playing in Saudi. Um, I think there's lots of players playing out there who still play for their international teams. I think also in his position, we don't have, we're not really blessed with quality there. Um, so uh, I think for the time being, um, he should be in the England squad. Because um, we also, I don't think we have a lot of leaders who've actually um, won something as well. And obviously he's won the Champions League. Um, he's been in like, the squad since about maybe... 2015, maybe 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a lot of experience behind him. Um, but yeah, I think maybe after the Euros, we should kind of try and fizzle him out. But I can certainly see why Southgate keeps on picking him. Do you not think playing in Saudi has a negative impact on one, your performance, two, your competitive edge, and three? I mean, to be honest, I don't. I don't agree with the boon. I really, I really don't agree with the boon. I don't think any player should get booed um, playing for England unless they've done something horrendous. But I mean, he really doesn't cover himself with glory in terms of. That's a good football cliche, by the way. Doesn't cover, I saw a video on Twitter the other day, just just that, that covered himself in glory. Um, but he doesn't cover himself in glory with some of the interviews that he done. I, w- I do want to bring up the athletic interview that he did with Alan Crafton and 
David Ornstein. Um, I, I just think with footballers, when they do these kind of interviews, they should have a little bit of prep before they do it. And some of the answers that he gave in terms of, you know, he heard all this stuff about, about Qatar before they went. And he didn't see any of it when they were there. It's kind of the whole thing of what sports washing is. And then I think the thing that pissed me off the most was probably when, you know, they asked him, why have you gone? And he'd said, it's not just about the money. And it's just like, I'd, I'd much rather prefer for a footballer to be like, it's about the money. Because the only reason footballers are going to Saudi Arabia, and it's not sugarcoat it, I don't know how you feel about it, but the only reason footballers are going to Saudi Arabia is the money. And he said he did it in another follow-up interview before the game against Italy. And he said, you know, I, I want to rephrase what I said in the interview. It is in part about the money, but it's not solely about the money. I was just like, just say it's about the money. And the other thing with Jordan Henderson, you kind of alluded to it, he's not a player that's like going to knock his socks off every week. Yes, he's got leadership qualities. Yes, he's been part of winning squads for Liverpool in terms of the Champions League and the Premier League. But I do get your point around how maybe we don't have as many holding midfielders per se as we do attacking midfielders or, or sort of English midfielders that we could deploy in an eight or a ten. Um, we're quite limited in terms of sixes. But I kind of leads on to the next point about what I'm going to ask you about sort of Calvin Phillips and whether he gels into the squad. But anyway, so you're saying playing in Saudi shouldn't negate his his credentials for England? I can understand your point of view. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you should judge a player off his performances, not in the league he's playing in. So, for example, Brentford, right? we're known for our scouting and we look at a player's performance, not the league they're playing in, right? Because you can only... So well against what's in front of you. Um, so if he's performing well in Saudi, I have no problems with him being in the England squad. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's, that's a fresh take. I think uh, I think a lot of people disagree. I don't I don't really see what he offers to the team, but I just feel like with Southgate, and we're going to talk about Southgate, he will carry on playing him because he does have his favourites. Calvin Phillips. Um, I've seen your one to eleven. We are going to do a one to eleven at one point. You've got him in your one to eleven. He's played next to no minutes for City since joining them last year. He looked. Pretty pretty shaky last night. He was on a mission to get himself sent off from the minute one, I thought. He, he went flying into a tackle within the first like 20 seconds, then got himself booked about a minute later. Uh, lucky to stay on the pitch because he had another one in the second half that he should have got yellow for, but for some reason the, Ita- the Italy player got yellow for. Same question, are you, are you putting him in the squad? Because it's another point of contention. It's like we're putting Henderson in the squad even though he's playing in a lesser league. We're putting Phillips in the squad even though he's playing in the Premier League, but he's played basically no minutes. I read a stat the other day that he started as many games for England as he has for City since he joined City, which is just ridiculous. And the fact that Rico Lewis gets a nod ahead of him in that uh, game against Arsenal a couple of weekends ago kind of says it all about about how Pep doesn't really fancy him. But go on, you, you go. Calvin Phillips, what's your take on him? Again, I think that's obviously a bit similar to um, the Henderson situation. Um I think when he's played for England, he's, he's always done quite well. I actually think he played pretty well last night as well, despite him probably should have been sent off. Yeah. Um, I think, look, I think Henson and Phillips are lucky that we're not blessed with good holding midfielders. And Southgate likes to play with a double pivot or, you know, two DMs. Um, and I, I just can't, I don't know who else there would be. Like, apart from Phillips and Henderson... Another player that comes to my mind is Harrison Reed. Right? I really, really, <laughs> I really, really, really honestly. <laughs> That's a T-ass shot, that. <laughs> if I was the manager. Um, Harrison Reed? Yeah, 100%. I think he's a player. 
but um, <laughs> it won't happen. Um, Phillips played well for England every time he's played for us. Um, I think he, he, he probably will move on in January, whether it's a loan or permanent. So I, I'm sure we will see him um, a lot more in the Premier League after January. Um, and yeah, if he, if he plays well, I, I've got no problem with him playing, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with him playing as long as he makes the move in January where he can get first-team football because I don't want... I feel like I was watching the game last night and he didn't do too much wrong. Maybe I'm being slightly harsh, but I was watching the game last night and he just looked like someone who hadn't played a lot of minutes this season, which he hasn't. But like you say, unlike Henderson, he has been a standout performer for England, especially at the Euros. Wasn't he uh, England's player of 20 to 20, 2020 to 2021? I'm pretty sure in the men's, in the men's team. Um, so he's done he's done so well and he was really good at the Euros and I wouldn't have any qualms with him starting at the next Euros but only if he makes that move to to a different club because at City he's just not getting the minutes and you don't want someone who's playing every time he gets called up for the international team but doesn't have any match fitness when it comes to playing at club level. Speaking of, Harry Maguire played okay last night. I thought he always somehow manages to pull it out of the bag when he has like a big crunch game for England. I feel like... With his performances in the last international break uh, against Scotland, in particular when he came on as a sub, um, kind of scapegoated as he normally does get scapegoated with England. And I put some stick on Southgate saying, you know, he's responsible for as much as the criticism that Maguire, Maguire gets, as Maguire is himself, for, for not playing up to scratch. Um, he played he played OK last night, but I think now... In terms of the centre halves coming through that we have, and like we should, I think we should like sort of say as well. In terms of England, I feel like there's one position, or maybe two positions, you could argue maybe with the goalkeeper that we're not, we don't have a world class player of sorts, and it's that it's that left sided centre half because I think the right sided centre half goes to John Stones when he's fit, um, but in terms of that left sided centre half now. We've got the likes of Mark Gurhey, Lewis Dunk, Levi Colwell, who I know we've both got in our 11s. But Harry, Harry Maguire, Euro, Euro 2024, what, what do you think? Again, he's, he's one of them players that's not really let us down. And you know what, I think, I actually do like Maguire as a player. I think um, he's obviously had a lot of criticism recently. And that's bound to get to him. Obviously, with his performances, he hasn't be playing too well for Man United, although I think he played well against us a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he's not had a bad game for England either. And I think in, when you're playing in a tournament, experience is so important. Um, when you look back to his performances at um, the World Cup in 2018, um, Euros in 2021, um, World Cup or the, almost a year ago now, I think he's been pretty solid for us. And these players are important, you know. If, I know I had Cole on my team, but obviously he's far less experienced. Um, not played as many games as Maguire in the Premier League. Um, I think that 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 stuff doesn't count. That, sorry, does count quite a lot when Southgate is picking his selection. Um, yeah, but the thing is, is that I I also don't like two right-footed centre halves. I, I want mm. one right-footed, and obviously the left um, centre half being left-footed. Um, so yeah, I think it is a difficult one, but yeah, uh, it, I would also like to see how well um, he does for the rest of the season. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Um, a lot can change. You know, Colwell could have, you know, could get injured the out of six months. Same with Maguire. Um, or Maguire could come into the Man United team, play really well. You just don't know at this stage of the season, to be fair. But yeah, I think at the moment, um, Maguire just about deserves his spot in the England team. 
Mm, I'm not sure. I can't. I don't know if I can agree with you. Don't know. I really don't. I think, uh, especially with how little he's played, he's similar to Calvin Phillips in a sense. Especially with how little he's played, I just feel like maybe just give him a little bit of a break. If he doesn't break back into this Man United team, I don't want him to go into the Euros as a starting centre back without any first team football under his belt. Whereas if you go back to 2018 Russia and 2020 Euros, he had full seasons at Man United and he was really good. He was one of our best players in terms of those tournaments, but you're talking about him going into the biggest tournament in, in recent years in terms of, you know, the general consensus amongst England fans, and you can call it entitlement, you can call it whatever, but I think the general consensus is we need to go into this tournament thinking that we can win it. Uh, and with the squad that we have, I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility at all. I think it's, I think we're definitely one of the favourites and I wouldn't want one of my starting centre-backs going into that team having not played, you know, 90 minutes week in, week out for his club. Whereas someone, someone even like Mark Gurhey, I think he's been amazing this season. I think he's such a good player. He's, he's done really well when he's been called up for England. Again, the same with Lewis Dunk and Levi Colwell. You mentioned um, who I think can play out. I think he. I, I don't know if I'm wrong in saying that he plays on the left side of the uh, defense for Chelsea, um, but he can play out from the back. He's just won the under twenty ones Euros with England. He's been one of Chelsea's best players this season. And I was listening to a, a podcast on the Athletic the other day. And the Chelsea journalist was saying he, he's been one of Chelsea's standout performers in what's been a pretty average start to their season. I know they've started to get off the ground now, but in terms of their standout players, Levi Colwell's been one of them. I would just, I know Southgate has his favourites and it kind of all just, all of this England chat always just does go back to Southgate and what he would do because we know what he's going to do. He he will pick Phillips, he will pick Henderson, he will pick Maguire. So like, in a, in a way, there's no fucking point in us doing this podcast, but, but uh we know what he's going to do, but I just I would just love to see someone else take that left centre half position and kind of make it their own. I feel like in Gurhey and Dunk and Colwell, we've got three more than capable centre backs that can do that. And just give give Maguire a break. Like I know you said he's not played bad in tournaments and he hasn't, but he has had some howlers in international friendlies uh, in recent times. I think the thing is it's probably a good thing we qualified yesterday because it gives us the chance to kind of experiment in the next couple. of fixtures in the qualifiers. Um, I know Southgate said yesterday he wants to top the group. And while that is important, we are playing what, Macedonia and um, Malta. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'd definitely like to see a couple of players rested. Um, and potentially the likes of Colwell, Gerhi, Dunk maybe as well, you know, play a couple of games. Um, don't rate Dunk? I, that I don't, don't rate him. I, just, I feel like maybe the other options are a bit more exciting, if you like, like Dunk's a, a, yeah. 31 year old. Um, kind of want to see the next generation of England players coming through, like Colwell, Gehi. Um So, no, I, I think it's definitely time to experiment, see what they can do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bellingham. I think, uh, you know, we kind of talked about these fringe players, play, play people that we're not going to go on the plane, people that are going to go on the plane. Bellingham, just every time I watch this guy, Real Madrid, England, when he was at Dortmund, every time I watch him, it's just, just like, wow. I just cannot believe. You know, you go, because I've got, I've got loads to say about Bellingham. So you go, take, take it away. He's just, he's, he's unreal. There's, there's, there's no. Is, is he the best? Is he one of the best in the world at the moment? I mean, in terms of midfielders, is that too premature? No, I don't think so. I think, since he's gone to Real Madrid, he's definitely taken up another level. Um, at Dortmund, when he played for England, I thought obviously he's been a great player, but. Um, I feel like the game against Scotland, obviously yesterday, really, really took it up another level. Um, 
Yeah, it's just exciting. Like he's three years younger than me. He's four years younger than you. <laughs> it's just scary. Like, and also, just when he speaks, I watched an interview with him after the game, and he, he's just—he's just—he's a leader, isn't he? Um, mm. I think it's so exciting. Um, I love the fact that he's gone to Real Madrid and not comes to the Premier League. I think also going to Dortmund at such a young age as well shows immaturity. I think. Young players moving abroad is always a big thing, especially for English players, because it's not really been done that often before. Um, so, yeah, it just shows the type of guy he is. I think it's just scary to think what he'll look like in five years' time. I think the only worry would be injuries, because he's, he's played a lot of games at his young age. And we've seen in the past players like uh, Wayne Rooney, Theo Walcott, they kind of fizzled out after a while, but just because they played so many games. Um, Obviously, I hope that doesn't happen to Bellingham. I think we need to also kind of protect him in a way. I think the next in, the next um, kind of international uh, round of fixtures, do, do we really need to call him up? Like, <laughs> we, should, we should be thinking about resting these players like Kane and Bellingham because we know, we know they're going to play. Um, and I think, yeah, we should, we should look to kind of experiment in, in these positions, um, see what the likes of... You know, Ollie Watkins and other central midfielders, what they can do, Madison. Um, but yeah, Bell- Bellingham's amazing, and I'm so excited to see what he Yeah. Doing. It's an interesting point you bring up with how many games that he's played, because it wasn't... Well, last week we saw Eden Hazard retire at the age of 32, and he was, in my opinion, one of the best, if not... Well, no, one of the best players to ever play in the Premier League. And there's a lot of people talking about, you know, player welfare, there's so many games. Bellingham's played so many games already at only 20 years old. But I just feel like with him, it's, it's just the way he carries himself on the pitch. Like his stature, he, he's a big, he's only 20 years old, but he's a big guy. He's a, he's fucking, he's a big guy and he's, he he seems robust as well. And just the, like the, the way that people talk about him, the way that Carlo Ancelotti has talked about him, saying that, you know, he's, he's you know, we heard about this kid before he came and somehow like he's he's only 20 years old, but he plays like he's a 30 year old. He's the complete player already and he's only 20 years old. He scored like nine goals in 11 games or something like that for Real Madrid. I think I read a stat the other day that he's the highest contributing non-striker in Europe's top five leagues in terms of in terms of goals and assists. And honestly, yesterday he was in in the first like sort of 20 minutes when Italy were, were on top and were playing better stuff. He was the only one on our team that, that looked any good. And he was the only one trying to make things happen. He's just one of those players that can just pick up the ball and drive when when no one else is having a good day. He just picks up the ball and decides, right, I'm going to go on a run now and he'll get past three players or he'll win a foul or he'll win the penalty like he did. He's just he's just incredible, honestly. I don't think um, sort of... I was watching kind of clips of Steven Gerrard when he was kind of this age earlier when I was kind of doing the prep for this. I just think he's better. I don't, uh, I don't want to say this, right? This is outlandish claim. But when he signed for Madrid and he put the number five shirt on, I was kind of thinking to myself, do you know what? Out of out of the stuff that you, out, how I've seen him play, he kind of does remind me of Zidane a little bit. His first touch, the way he can turn, the way he can get out of tight spaces, and I know that is a that is a bold claim. Like I'm definitely clipping this up for Instagram, but he does he does kind of have that build. The way he's kind of a little bit lanky but strong, and just just the way he's aura on the pitch. I just feel like when he plays, when he gets on the ball, you can hear the crowd get up and they're excited about it. I think he's almost too perfect, isn't he? Like, <laughs> He's also, yeah, he's good looking as well. I just <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing he can't do. Uh, we, I could, I could rave about Bellingham for ages, but let's, uh, let's get the squads out. We're, we're going to do a one to eleven. Um, 
obviously we'll, we'll do a little explanation of each. I'll, I'll let you go first, and I will also get these edits on the screen. So Niall, point either, well, just point up like that, and I'll get the edit on the screen right now for you to, there you go. Um, and that'll be up, because I can't really tell where it's going to be when I come to the edit, because you're on, we're, it's like that right now, but in the edit it's going to be like that. Anyway, tell me, go for your, go for your 1 to 11, and uh, give me a little explanation after each one. So, well, Pickford in goal, start off with. I think that's an obvious one. He's played so well for England over the years. Um, really rate him. I think the right-back position is where it gets tricky. Um, Walker, for me, is probably the best right-back in the world right now. Um, seems to be getting faster with age. I don't know how that's possible. I think he's what, 32, 33 years old, something like that. Um, but then on the other hand, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold's one of our most talented players. Um, I think he's a very... He's obviously very good um, on the ball. I do have my questions about him defensively. Um, I'd say games where we're having more of the ball, I'd probably have Trent Alexander-Arnold maybe even going into that midfield position to sit alongside Bryce. Um, but I think... Games where, say, if we're playing France or Argentina, I'd have Walker there any day just because of you know, his kind of recovery pace. Um, as for the right-sided centre-half, I think we both said John Stones. Yeah. Um, what a player he is. Played so well for Man City last season. Um, I know yesterday was his first start this season. Um, left side, this this is what we talked about earlier as well. Um Right now, I'd probably go for Maguire, but if Colwell was to have an immense season, um, I wouldn't have any problems picking him. Um, Left-back Shaw, I think he is very underrated, actually. Um, I think, obviously, it's between him and Chilwell. Um, I think Chilwell's injured right now, um, so the Shaw. But, yeah, Shaw's played so well for England, obviously scored in the Euros final a couple of years ago and then the midfield for me is very tricky because I don't know if I want us to play obviously Southgate's going to play the double pivot um, if it was me I'd probably be a bit more brave I'd probably play Rice as the six although I don't really trust him entirely playing as that lone six I'd rather have a, like a controller there like a I don't know a Rodri or if we go back a few years, like a Michael Carrick would have been perfect in that position. Um, we had Declan Rice, um, Jude Bellingham, of course. And then, see, if we're playing against the Leicester team, I'll probably put Madison in there. I think um, he's one of them players that can just produce something out of nothing. He, he's someone who doesn't shy away from the ball. I think those kind of players are so important in international football, just players who can produce something out of nothing because... You know, in club football, all these teams that have their systems and it's all, you know, being put together in training. In international football, everyone always says like we don't have like a like a great style of play, but th- these things don't happen overnight. You know, South- Southgate has what like three um, international breaks, which is probably like a total of six weeks with the players um, up up until sorry from September up until November. Um, it's not a long time, and you know, playing styles take time to be put into place um, and that's why I think Madison's important because especially on the international stage where you just you kind of rely on that individual brilliance like Argentina did in the World Cup um, like with Mbappe for France so 
I think that kind of play is important. I think Saka on the right, definitely. We all know what a player he is. Um, done so well for England recently. Um, on the left, I think in, in bigger games where we're expected to have less of the ball, I'd have Rashford. In games where we're expected to have more of the ball, I'd have Grealish. Um, my reason being is because I don't really trust Rashford. Um, like against the low block, I don't think he's great. I think he's at his best when there's space to run into. Um, but with Grealish, if we're playing against a low block, he kind of attracts players towards him um, because of his like, dribbling abilities and kind of creates space for other players as well to run into. You know, our central player Bellingham likes to go forward, um, and then Saka on the right as well. So then obviously Kane up front. Um, and the reason why I think Southgate goes for that kind of two holding midfield players is because Kane likes to drop deep. If we had a more advanced midfielder in there um, alongside Bellingham, like Madison, I think just, it would get too kind of congested in the like the central areas. Um, so yeah, I, I'd have Kane in there. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much my starting eleven. All right, I'll, I'll go. I'll go through mine, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of go back and go over the points of contention. I think Pickford and goal is to be honest. I was thinking about this earlier, like. I, I like and the thing is the thing that would make me choose Pickford over Ramsdale because I don't think Pope's really in the conversation about starting. Um, don't think he's good enough with the ball at his feet. And yeah, I think with the way that modern goalkeepers are, he's he's just not good enough on international teams. Even the games that I've watched Newcastle so far this season, he always makes me feel a little bit nervous. But in terms of what Pickford can do and what Ramsdale can do, I actually think Ramsdale's a better shot stopper than Pickford. I think he's better than Pickford with his feet as well. So the only reason that I would still pick Pickford over Ramsdale. And even though it's very close, it's because Pickford has been so good for England since Russia to now. Like he's, he's never let England down. You could argue that maybe he was at fault for Chouameni's goal against, uh, against us in, in the year, in the world cup in Qatar. I mean, you know, would Ramsdale save that? It's easy to say that he might have, but I just feel like, especially with the way Southgate is to his favorite players. I don't think, I don't think this is Pickford's position for the next for the next tournament, at least, and the next World Cup as well. Right back on going Walker, the same as you. Uh, I think there is a shout for Reese James, but just he's made of glass. Like, the blokes never fit, so it's just not going to happen. And like you say, Walker's like a fine wine. He just gets better with age. Uh, Stones, I always love the quote that Guardiola says about Stones when he was, like, in the press conference. I can't remember, if I don't, it wasn't last year, maybe the year before, when he kind of says, trust me, John Stones has more personality in him than, like, everyone else in this room combined or something like that. And it's just, I just think it's a great quote. You wouldn't really expect it. I didn't, I didn't really expect that. You know, John Stones coming from Barnsley then to Everton. I never really expected him to be that guy. But I feel like when he has played for England, when he's played for City as well, like it's not crazy to say that he's up there with some of the best centre-halves in the world. Maybe he's not like a Ruben Diaz, Emmerich Laporte kind of level. But I feel like he is. He's definitely, like maybe he's at the next table. Um, I'm going Levi Colwell, left centre-back, for the reasons I said earlier at the top of the show, I think. Fantastic for England under 21s. He's been great for Chelsea this season. And I just feel like, in terms of how England will play at this World Cup, dominating the ball, playing out from the back, I trust Colwell a lot more than I trust Maguire, uh, especially if Maguire isn't playing week in, week out for United. Shaw, I think Shaw picks himself. He's one of Southgate's favourites as well, um, which sadly for Re- well, now that he's injured, Rico Henry's definitely getting nowhere near the squad. But 
I feel like Shaw, when he's fit, is one of again one of the best left backs in the world. And this is what I mean. We'll get onto it later. We've got so many good players in in most positions on the pitch. Uh, Centre mid, I've gone like like you. I, I would like to go brave, but uh, Southgate won't. But I've gone Rice as a holding midfielder as the six, and I go. Thing is, Bellingham's been playing as a ten. Really, he was playing as a ten last night. He's been playing as a ten for Madrid, so it kind of just does mix things up a little bit. But I reckon you could probably afford to have two eights as opposed to an eight and a ten with Bellingham he's kind of up and down if you wanted that creative spark which is someone that you, somewhere something that you get from someone like Phil Foden who would probably be my first choice in terms of that other eight role just ahead of Madison I don't think I don't think Madison is one of Southgate's favorites I don't think it will be one of Southgate's favorites when he's played he's played him on the wing and he hasn't quite done it for England yet but I mean if he if he keeps playing for Tottenham the way he's playing at the moment, for me, he's been the player of the season so far. Like In terms of Tottenham's success so far, it all comes through James Madison. Uh, but yeah, it would be so Rice, Bellingham, and then either Foden or Madison. But at the moment, I'd probably just have Foden ahead just because I think him and Bellingham, uh, maybe maybe even Foden ahead of Bellingham in terms of like natural talent and ability on the ball. Just Foden is just silky. Like, I just I rate, him, rate him so highly. I don't think he should be using the wing. He should definitely be in that sort of more advanced role in between the midfield and the attack. Left wing, I've gone with Grealish. I can see the Rashford argument, but I think it's a weird one with Grealish because I feel like he hasn't really nailed down his England spot. And and this season with Man City, he hasn't featured that much for them either. So I don't, I don't know what's happening there because kind of Doku's like coming off the bench and he seems to be like the, the guy that Guardiola is either going to start or go to. And Grealish... You know he, he's done well for England. Like I can think of, you know, the assist that he's got at World at, at, at Euros, um, the goals that he scored at the at the World Cup. But I feel like in Grealish and Rashford, you've got two very good options on the left wing. So I don't feel like it's a it's a position we need to worry about too much. Those two are kind of interchangeable. Right wing Saka, that's that's done deal, and and striker Kane. So I feel like the only kind of points of contention is that midfield spot. I mean, what what's going to be the thing is we all want Southgate to play attacking football, and I we all, I think we all are in agreement that he should. Um, well, maybe we're not. Like maybe maybe people are a bit more sensible than me and you. But I, I would I would tend to go brave. I would say Rice can. Uh, Rice is one of the best players in the world in his position. And if we put a Bellingham alongside him, who is that box of energy who can go up and down, do you think there's going to be too much danger? Do you, well, we know what he's going to do. He's going to play Phillips. But what do you think in terms of that midfield three? Well, I kind of disagree with you on Rice. I'm not his biggest fan, let's just say. Really? Yeah, for me, there's just something missing there. Like, I think it's because he's he's a good player. I feel like most of his good work comes maybe off the ball. He's more like a destroyer in midfield. See, with me, I, I like my Rodri type. Yeah. A, a controller, like I said earlier. Um I wouldn't trust him. I think we've tried him as a kind of lone six before. Didn't quite work. Um, so I, I can see why Southgate is kind of reluctant to play with like two eights. Um, but yeah, uh, the midfield three is just... I, I think we should take it game by game and depending on the opponent. Like if we're playing, I don't know, Australia, for example, definitely play two um, midfielders more advanced than Rice. Um but yeah, I, th- I think it is a difficult one. Like Rice, he, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know what it is. I just feel like there's just something not quite there with him. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
also something that could happen is maybe Trent in midfield as well, alongside Rice. You know, you know we haven't really spoken about that. That could be an option. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you think. I wanna. I think it's a good point that you make about it depends who we're playing. I feel like if we are sort of in the group stages and we play a team that aren't, you know, one of the favourites to win it, uh, I think it's a good idea to kind of maybe try out an attacking midfield three with the likes of Foden and Bellingham and Madison and maybe Trent if he's there. But what I want to see, and I don't mind him starting defensively against a France or a Spain or an Italy or Germany or someone like that. I really don't mind that. But what I do want to see is the in-game substitutions to not be too cautious and to be made efficiently, quickly, and realising that when the game's getting away from you or when you need to put a game to bed, which is historically what we haven't seen with Southgate in the past, kind of dilly-dallies and he lets the game get away from him and then we're 2-1 down and then we're conceding goals and we're not putting the game to bed when we should be putting the game to bed. Um, that's that's what I'd like to see. It kind of leads into the next segment. We'll, we'll spend the last kind of 10 minutes chatting about the tournament itself. Um, I think it's safe to say England will be amongst the, the firm favourites to win the tournament with our qualification campaign, with you know how well we did at the last World Cup, getting to the Euros final in 2020. Um, what do, what do, how do you rate our chances? I think that, that's, that's the question I want to ask. How do you rate our chances in Germany? I think... I'm feeling really optimistic about it. I really think we're going to win the competition. Um, <laughs> this is dangerous, Noel. <laughs> why, why won't we? I, I know there's obviously some great like, footballing nations out there. France do worry me, but I, I feel like this is just this. This is our time. We've got Kane who's at his peak. We've got Bellingham who's performing incredibly well. Rashford, Saka. Our team's a joke. The depth's a joke. Um, if we don't win one, we don't win a tournament next summer. I don't think we ever will. But, um, I think Kane also. I think he's going to be massive for us. Obviously, he's the captain. He's our best player, but he's also kind of got something to prove after what happened in the World Cup. Um, I think. I, I just I feel like there's something. He's going to have that kind of fire in him that's just going to take us all the way. Out. I really do feel optimistic. Um, we're probably going to get knocked out by Luxembourg <laughs> or something. <laughs> but, um, no, I'm I'm feeling really optimistic. Um, obviously, there's some other nations, you know, France. Um, obviously, it's in Germany as well, so they'll be right up for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I really, I really do think we go in as favourites. I th- the thing is, I would love to agree with you, and I think. I think we definitely, if I were to pick sort of four teams that I think have very good chance of winning it, England are definitely in that top four, maybe in the top two. But I feel like the thing is, with, with, with all these international teams, I think Spain will be out there with a point to prove. On paper, they've got one of the best squads in the competition. They went out of the last World Cup against Morocco and it was just a little bit like, mm, they probably deserve to win that game. But I feel like the, it was kind of Morocco's tournament. Um, Germany, obviously Hansi Flick's gone now. They've brought in Nagelsmann. They actually beat France. I don't know how they got on in their internationals this time, this time around, but they beat France in their last one in his first game. Again, you look at their squad on paper, it's it's one of the best in the competition. Italy, I'm not really too worried about Italy, to be honest. I feel like they've got a long way to go. Um, the team that we beat last night wasn't the best Italy team I've seen uh, in in a while. But I feel like in terms of the the runs that we've had to get to to the places where we've gone in recent in recent times in Russia in 2018 and then the Euros and then Qatar we've had to get through relatively easy runs to those to those points and 
this is the this is the criticism that get that gets leveled at Southgate. And you ask me what's what's holding us back, and I hate to be the guy that bashes Southgate, but like this is the one thing that's been leveled at Southgate is that when we've come up against teams that maybe we shouldn't be, and maybe it's a bit more of a level playing field, we always have lost. Um, and while Southgate isn't the only reason for us losing that, he is a big one in terms of the inaction in games, his in-game substitutions. I feel like against Croatia, we had them under the cosh, we should have made subs, we didn't, they score. We all know the story. Against Italy, we scored early, should have made changes. When they were getting back into the game, we didn't, they scored, they win on penalties. Uh, in France... In France, I, in France, I don't actually give Southgate too much of the stick because I feel like with the way that that game was going, I I don't know if I would have made changes, but like I'm not the England manager, so it doesn't matter. But I feel like with the way that that game was going, I, I don't put too much blame on Southgate for France. And like you said, like France are... France are I think France are clear favourites for me. Um, with the players that they have, in terms of their defensive defensive line, they've got like four world-class centre-halves in there. Um, and... Up top, they've got no problems at all. So I feel like... I don't know if we're the best team in the tournament. I feel like if we can get through without having to play France, <laughs> I feel like we might win. <laughs> but I don't. I just... I don't know. I, this is Southgate's last dance. This, this is it. I feel like this. he has to win. And it sounds horribly entitled to say that. But for me, with the squad that he has and everything's in his favour like we hit we constantly hear pundits talking about how cohesive the group is at the moment how when back in the day the thing that held behind the golden generation was that they go out to England training they'd all be competing at club level and they wouldn't get on whereas this time and it, this has been like this since kind of Russia they they all seem to get on they all love going over with England and they they are some of the best players in the world as we mentioned it earlier there's maybe a couple of positions in that team where we don't have world-class players so I feel like if there is a time for England to win a world to win a competition it is this it is this year. Next year, sorry. No, I 100% agree with you. And I also find it funny when people say we're never going to win anything with Southgate. We literally got to a final with Southgate. If you get to a final, you can win a final. That's how I think of it. You know, football is a game of fine margins. If things pan out slightly differently, you know, if, I don't know, I don't even remember the Italy goals I've blocked out of my mind, but <laughs> you know, it's just it's fine margins, right? Um, yes, I think the substitutions could be a bit better, uh, maybe tactically, but you know, you, you learn from it. And um, I think he has done. I think he's brought in a new coach as well. Hopefully that might change things uh, a little bit. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's, let's see. I'm excited. Yeah, I feel, and I, I don't like bashing Gareth Southgate because he has given us like some of the best memories in recent years. I think of that. Germany game at the Euros, like that, that was unbelievable. The Denmark game as well. The Russia just as a tournament was fantastic. Even in Qatar, we had a fair like dose of of good memory. So I, I don't like bashing him because he seems like a nice bloke. Um, but I just I don't, I I hope to God that I'm wrong. I hope I hope to God. I just feel like you know when you can you can see in a manager that's that's ruthless, like someone who's just a born winner. I just don't know if he has that in him. And his credentials in past jobs, I don't. The reason he's got the England job is because he worked within the youth setup, um, and I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's that guy, and I want him to be that guy, and I want. I want myself to be proved wrong, and I want us to go and win the Euros. But I just. I just don't know. I just. I. And I really, really hope that I'm proved wrong. I think you will be. Yeah. All right. Well, I think 
I think that would be a good place to wrap up the England chat. We've got we've gone on for about forty minutes now. Uh, just before we wrap up today, folks, earlier I spoke to Joe from the Burnley fan channel Turfcast to get his take on Saturday's game at the GTEC. First of all, nice one, Joe. Thanks, thanks for coming on, mate. Massively appreciated. I guess um, my first question to you, which I think that you kind of dis- kind of discussed on your podcast already, is what have you made of Burnley's start to to this season? Well, after eight games, uh, well, first of all, let's just go back to last season. Like we blew the championship away, um, and I came into this season pretty confident that we would be okay in terms of a relegation battle. Um, but after eight games, I expected us to be um, not in the situation that we're in, where we've only lost. Uh, sorry, we've only won one game, and uh, we've been battered on, on like three occasions. Um, so I didn't expect us to be in this position after eight games. But when you look at the teams that we've played, I think you can look at that and think, yeah, fair enough. I understand why we're in that position. So yeah, it's been a slow start and it's been a tough start. Um, and a harsh reality to the new lads because yes, Burnley have been in the Premier League before, and the fans are wise to it, and the you know, and, and what it what it takes to survive in there. But a lot of these players aren't; they're all young lads. Um, so I think a lot, as is Vincent Company in terms of a manager, he's a young manager. Um, so I think a lot of the, the young lads are, are learning the trade. So it's it's been a bit of a awakening um, with the starts of the season that we've had. Um, but I'm beating this drum of let's just all stop panicking. And remember that we've played, you know, Tottenham, who are currently top or joint top, uh, Man City, who are Man City, uh, Villa, who have started very well this season, uh, Chelsea, who admittedly have been poor, but, you know, they've still got good players, same with Man United, and, you know, and teams like that. So, um, it, within the greatest of respect, we've got f- now three, sort of like four games where it's more teams that are going to be in and around us, and you can judge us on that. So that's, that's my sort of like... Um, thing like right, judges after Brentford, Bournemouth, Palace and Everton, you know what I mean? That then we've played two teams that are probably going to be in and around us this season in Luton and Forest, both away from home, got four points out of them. Um yeah. so I think I I still think we'll be okay. I just might have reined in a little bit with the confidence. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think uh, definitely with that, I was kind of doing some prep before this, looking at the fixtures. I didn't realise how quite how bad you've actually had the start of the season in terms of whoever whoever made that uh, fixture list really must not be a Burnley fan, considering... Had you know, it in level for us, of, mate. I know. 100% had it in for us. I know. We, we've talked about it on our last podcast. It's a pretty big game for us, considering our kind of start to the season. As, as I imagine it will be for you, you kind of just mentioned yeah. it with these next three, three games you've got. Should we lose on Saturday, kind of puts us right amongst it in terms of the early season kind of back markers. Is there, is there a feeling amongst Burnley fans that this is a fairly big game, considering from both of our perspectives, if we want to kind of stay in this league, these are the kind of games that you want to be taking points from? 100%, you know, and I don't mean it with any disrespect to Brentford, but it's not a case of we should be beating Brentford. Of course, of course, we know we have no right to beat Brentford. Brentford are in the third season in the Premier League now. You know, he did very well last season. Um, and I looked at Brentford at the start of the season and thought, Brentford are a safe pair of hands. They'll probably finish somewhere between ninth and, and 12th, something like that. Um, you start to the season, obviously you've had to adapt to life without Ivan. Um, you've got a few injuries. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why you've, had a slower start. Um, I think you've got three points more than us, but that's from three draws. So I think you're a little bit more difficult to beat, but you've only won one match. Um, I do think you'll be in and around, not the relegation battle, but always sort of like, oh, Brentford could be dragged into it, but then then you won't do. Um, but uh, yeah, we are looking at it as, as, as a big game, looking at it as the next three or four. We've got Everton as well, but that's in the Carabao Cup, but we've got yourselves, Bournemouth, Everton, and then Palace. 
you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we come away from four wins with that. And if we do, things are going to look a lot brighter. My only concern is the next two, well, the next three, if you include the Everton one, uh, they're all away from home. So I would have liked just one of them to be at home. Because um, at, at that point, then after the Bournemouth game, like, yes, we'll have played some more teams in and around us, but every single team would have played that's going to be in and around us at the end of the season or teams that we think will be have all been away from home, Forest, Luton, then Brentford and Bournemouth. So again, it's it's not going to be, it's not still going to be difficult because that's all my, that's what I keep saying. The sentence I keep using is it's difficult to gauge where we're at with the teams that we played. It's going to be still going to be a little bit difficult because of the teams that are in and around us we've played away from home, but um, we got a point at Forest. Uh, we won at Luton. Struggled to win at Luton, admittedly, with that second half. But over the course of the game, I do think we were the better side. Um, but yeah, we're looking at this one and and the next few as important. And I've said to a lot of Burnley fans, right, let's not panic. Judge us after that Palace game and see where we're at. Judge us at the end of November. Then we'll have a clearer picture of where we are. I mean, I think the clear, the clear picture is already kind of there. You kind of mentioned it already, how you've played Forrest and Luton both away from home and you got four points from those games. Yeah. Having having said that, are Burnley fans kind of coming into this game with any more confidence knowing you've got that record? I mean, to be honest, we've spoken about it on our podcast. I'm Weirdly, and I never thought I'd say this, but weirdly I'm expecting Burnley to come to Brentford and have most of the ball and yeah. have us under the cosh for a lot of the game. Um, I'm really not com- that confident going into this one. I'm sure most of my mates aren't either considering our recent form, but are you... Is is the sort of because you're off the back of that negative result against Chelsea? Is there any kind of confidence going into this game, thinking Do you know what we can roll them over? You know what, I am quietly confident it will at the very minimum be a close game, and by close game, I don't I don't mean nil nil one nil something like that. I mean two teams going at each other um, that will be of similar qualities. My worry is you've got you, you're good at creating chances and you've got some good forwards. Um, so if you carry on in that vein, you may. Um, hurt us because our defence hasn't been great but in terms of confidence among the fans I think at the minute most of the fans it's actually quite low because it's you know we've got into the season thinking I mean I, I I went on to other like shows saying at the start of the season like oh Burnley will be okay we'll finish between 11th and 14th like I said I've reined that in a little bit now um, but I think a lot of fans were expecting a struggle but then this start of the season's happened and they're thinking oh well we're definitely going down you know company's making mistakes which he is um, but he's, he's an intelligent man he's Vincent Company. I think he'll learn from him I think we'll come good and I do think we'll stay up but yeah I think the confidence among the fans is actually quite low um, I'm expecting a good game I'm expecting two teams of decent quality to go at each other you said that we'll probably have most of the ball and put you under the cosh a lot we'll try and have most of the ball um, I'm not sure if we'll manage to put you under the cosh a lot we tend to be at the minute like a four 45 minute team so we'll play very well for 45 minutes we might be the first half we might be the second half I don't know which one it's going to be yet um, but Luton for example we absolutely battered him in that first half like, under, like battered him and it should have been 3-4-0 like in, in, on the balance of play but we didn't have three clear cut chances for example um, Luton came out in the second half and, and just absolutely battered us like, and, and then they got that goal in like the 82nd minute I was thinking oh here we go we're going to end up losing this or, or drawing it and then uh, it's going to be another meltdown but thankfully we scored again straight away um, we have got the quality to hurt you, but I think you've got the quality to hurt us as well. So I think it could be a high-scoring game. Yeah, so you mentioned company as well. Just just more like Burnley, bigger picture. I've I've watched you a few times this season, and he seems quite reluctant to change the playing style. Obviously, it did so well for you in the Championship last season. Um, could you envision a situation where things start to turn sour if, if the points don't come with the way that you're playing? I, I know... Thomas Frank has been quite adept in kind of changing his playing style since Brentford have come up to the Premier League. We kind of Mm. either 
can be a counter-attacking team, whereas this season we've started to have the ball a bit more, but he kind of switches his formation depending on who we're playing. Whereas I think company so far, he's kind of been like, this is what we're going to do and we're not probably going to change. What would you reckon? It depends. I, I'm not sure turning sour. I'm not sure it would turn sour, but there's, there's, a, there's a few rumblings already of like, oh, we, you know, this gung-ho football is never going to work in this league and stuff like that. I mean, it's never going to work against City and, you know, and Chelsea and, and United and them sort of teams. But... Um, we always said at the start of, of the season is I expect us to get a few batterings, but I expect us to batter some teams as well. So, so far, 50% of that's been correct. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if the other 50% of that does start to come to fruition, then um, I think I think the, I think the it will calm down a little bit. But of course, if we go to the GTEC on Saturday and get turned over 4-1 and then, you know, go down to the Vitality the week after and get turned over 3-0, then I can imagine there being a few rumblings. Um, I'm not sure anyone or anyone of sound mind will start calling for his head. I, w- I would like to think that even if we got relegated, we'd stand by him like we did with Dyche all them years ago. You know, because I think with clubs like ours, both Burnley and Brentford, and some of the other clubs in the league, like your Lutons and your Bournemouth, basically the smaller clubs, you need to have like a long-term vision. Um, and I think companies have a long-term vision, and we've brought in a lot of youngsters, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of exciting young talent. Um, and a lot of these will sell on for profit, and that's that's what we need to do. I remember once talking to a Newcastle fan. This is before the takeover, and I was saying like, "Oh yeah, he's, he's young, this lad, but we'll sell him on for profit." And he was like, "How are you thinking like that? How, how are you not thinking he's not good enough now?" I was like, "You just have to as a smaller club. It's just we can't we can't we can't just like throw millions around." Um, so the signs are there that this is a good long term project. Hopefully, the shorter term results pick up, but. I think I think now a lot of fans have gone from, including myself, gone from like eleventh to fourteenth. You know, I will surprise a few people to all right, let's just stay up. So I'll take seventeenth right now. Um but I still think we finished seventeenth. Um looking at the other teams that come up. I know there's been a lot of noise recently about these are the three worst teams to ever come up. I think that's a bit harsh when you look at who we've played and who you look at Luton have played. I don't get me wrong, I, I do think Luton are quite poor and I do think they'll fall. Um Sheffield United are dreadful, by the way. Um but um I think I think we'll be okay. Like I said, just just at the end of November um, and especially around Christmas time uh, and I think I think we'll have pulled away a little bit from uh, from the danger at that point yeah I think those comments are definitely harsh especially considering how the the winning margin you had in the championship last year on that comment yeah. from the Newcastle fan it always amazes me the ignorance of top six fans when they've got fucking billionaire yeah. owners and just yeah. say what they want and think it's think it's all right a couple of couple of players that have caught my eye this last question for you Joe um Lyle Foster up top has been really good I've, I've watched him a couple yeah. of times also I watched uh, the Luton game Amdouni he looked a he looked a proper player. Honestly, in in that in that first half, he should he should have had a couple of goals if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, are we are we thinking they're going to start on Saturday? Because I know he didn't start against Chelsea. Amdouni didn't. Yeah, Foster one hundred percent. Unless he's picked up a niggle that I'm not aware of, will start. Amdouni, like yes, he looks a player. He keeps the ball so well, like really well, and I like him in that ten role. Um, behind Foster because we, we kind of play like a um, a four two three one um with the two holding midfielders sort of like four four was like a front four as I call it with with somebody in the number 10 I'm doing a start of the season in that number 10 and was doing really well in it got a goal against Forest um you know did really well um but then his form dropped off a little bit and then we we put Sander Berg in that number 10 who looks really good in that number 10 actually and we've tried having Ramsey in that number 10 who looked brilliant uh, he's another young, exciting player that we've got. And then company kind of put Amdouni out on the right, or, or was it on the left? I can't remember, but one of the two. And it just didn't really work for him. It just didn't really work out there. And I think at the minute he's a little bit out of form, although he did get a goal for Switzerland the other night. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what we do with Amdouni. I would suspect, my team would personally, I, I would not put Amdouni in this 
game just because of how his form's been at the minute. Um, but if I was going to put him in this game, I'd put him in the number 10 role. Don't waste him outright. But yeah, Foster's been brilliant. Uh, it's, it's actually weird with Foster. Like he, he came in January last season and he didn't look great in the championship. There were, there were moments where I was like, there's a player there and I was trying to tell the fans, well, not tell them, you know, I'm not like the voice of the fans, but trying to debate with the fans, like, you know, there's a player there, you can see a player. But a lot of fans were like, oh, I'm not having it, he's useless. It will be useless in Premier League. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, maybe it's because he's had a pre-season with us or, you know, he spoke, to be fair, to a podcast, a South African podcast in the summer about how he came to Burnley in January. Well, I think he lives in Manchester, about how he came to Burnley and, you know, the North West in, in January. You know, the weather were cold, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and he didn't, he, he didn't really like it. He said he felt like he was feeling uh, a bit depressed and stuff like that. So after a, a summer with company and stuff like that, uh, you know, and the nice... Pennine sunshine and all the hills surrounding Burnley. He's probably thought, oh, you know what, it's all right, this place. Uh, and he's kicked on. Like He went clean through against Luton. And I don't know what it was, but I was just adamant he was scoring. There was nothing telling me at that moment he wasn't scoring. Um, and if he gets some chances on Saturday, we'll put them in the back of it. And that's, you mentioned there, I'm doing it. That's the difference between the two. Like, yes, Foster's an out and out striker, but I'm doing He had a couple of chances against Luton. Um, I think he had one against. Um, can't remember whoever would play it either side of Luton. I'm not remember uh, exactly off the top of my head, but he missed there. He missed one there as well. Whereas Foster probably scores all of them. Um, so for me, I'd have I'd have Amdouni on the bench. But if he's not on the bench, get him in that ten roll behind Foster because they do link up very well together. Right. Yeah. No. I think um, definitely Foster with his with his goal scoring form might have a bit of fun against us. We're very low on confidence at the moment, and Ethan Pinnock might be out for us, uh, which is not good because he's been one of our one of our star players this season. We still not got yeah. Ben Me. I agree with that. I, I like Pinnock, uh, and if you do, if you do hear anything, I asked another Brentford podca- podcaster this uh, earlier today. But if you do hear anything on Pinnock, please let me know. It's in my dream team, and it's a draft team. It's not <laughs> like I could just chop and change it as I want. Pinnock's in my dream team, so I'm like if Pinnock's injured, I need to know. I might, might shoehorn Ben me in if someone else hasn't got him. But you know, it's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I'm coming down actually on Saturday. Um, it's going to be a good game. It's an entertaining game. Um, my partner's at work, uh, so I've got my little boy in my arms. I thought, sorry, I might as well go to go to Brentford, and I want to see Ben Mee like, I'm really looking forward to seeing Ben Mee again I hope he gets a well he will get a brilliant reception from the Burnley fans but I hope he's playing it'll be great to see him again it's weird like I kind of hope he is playing because I want to see him but I kind of hope he isn't because it would be beneficial for us if he's not on the pitch um, but yeah legend is Ben Mee and I'm really looking forward to seeing him on Saturday The Road Podcast will be back next week to discuss that Burnley result and also look ahead to a trip to Stamford Bridge that is next up Uh, before we leave guys remember if you haven't listened to the podcast before please do subscribe to our youtube and spotify channels leave a rating as well and also give us a follow on our socials that's at the elim road on twitter and at elim road pod on instagram now bit of a different one today i'm a little bit gutted that we didn't actually get to talk about brentford players but with rika henry's injury and also i mean ivan tony could be off in january so uh, we couldn't really put a brentford spin on this england episode but it has been fun Sports Social Podcast Network.